Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. Sit back, relax, and listen to tonight's show. Let's join our host, Ted Odorico, as he introduces tonight's special guest. All right. Uh, good morning, actually. Uh, I'm Ted Odorico, and this is uh, a special encore edition of Golf Talk Live. I want to thank everybody for joining me this Wednesday. A little bit different. Uh, probably caught you all off guard. Uh, normally, our broadcast airs uh, Thursday evenings from 6 to 8 p.m. Central. Uh, here on the blogtalkradio.com network, but we're doing this special uh, encore presentation, as I mentioned, to uh, really feature a very special guest uh, that's uh, actually calling in uh, from overseas, and I'll introduce him in just a moment. But uh, if you want to listen to the show live, the best way to do that is obviously um, go to blogtalkradio.com slash live. and during our live broadcasts, uh, the uh, prompt will be there right in front of you, but for some reason, if you can't listen live, uh, you can visit that link at any time and just scroll down to the on-demand section and you can see all of the previously recorded broadcasts, including this morning's, will be there uh, shortly after the broadcast. Uh, but uh, thank you for tuning in uh, this morning for a special encore presentation of Golf Talk Live. And I'm very honored to welcome my uh, very special guest this morning, Dickie Prosser. Uh, he is the International Golf Sales Manager for Lyle and Scott. And as I said, he's uh, uh, calling in from overseas. So let me tell you a little bit about him, and then I will bring him on the show. He's uh, uh, been uh, over 35 years of industry expertise, and 17 of those he proudly uh, has been on the front lines of Lyle and Scott, a uh, very passionate ambassador of the golf industry and definitely a lover of the game. Uh, in fact, anything golf, uh, Dickie will probably have the answer, and uh, on the rare occasion he doesn't uh, have those answers, uh, he's ready for a, a conversation anyways. Uh, his relationship with Lyle and Scott's uh, Eagle, which is, of course, their logo, is very deep. Uh, many times he would wear the knitwear that uh, was produced in Scotland uh, that his father got him from uh, his golf club uh, to play uh, golf or even to go uh, and watch some soccer matches. Uh, he was extremely proud to wear the famous Eagle in the 1980s and still to this day. So please welcome my very special guest this morning uh, from Lyle and Scott, uh, Dickie Prosser. Good morning, Dickie. Welcome. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, Ted. How are you? Thank you. Actually, I guess it's afternoon for you, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's, uh, it's 4 o'clock here in London. Uh, the sun is shining, thank God. It's not raining. Uh, quite a miserable <laughs> start to our, um, to our spring. It came very late. It really ruined golf course. Well, actually, golf courses loved it because they got some, they got some water on the course and about time. But, uh, yeah, the last few weeks, uh, London's been glorious. And, uh, yeah, we've got quite a lot of uh, good sport coming up at the moment. Uh, we've got Wimbledon tennis, um, 
which will be starting fairly soon. And we've got obviously uh, the Open, which I'm extremely looking forward to, uh, end of the month, end of next month. So, yeah, a lot coming up. Yeah, I'll bet. And, uh, well, we're happy. We, we've had some up until here recently, the last day or so, we've had a lot of rain here in Florida. Uh, I'm not going to complain, though, because I know what it's like over where you are. So we're happy to loan you some of our sunshine over there in London uh, to allow you to enjoy some of these great, great events coming up. So I hope you'll remember that in, in the years to come when, <laughs> when we're having uh, some rotten weather over here that you'll remember to send some of that sunshine back. But um, again, welcome to the show, Dickie. I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to, to do that. And uh, so let me ask you something. I mentioned, uh, you know, obviously I just gave a brief uh, introduction because I want to spend a lot of our time talking about Lyle and Scott and, and other things. But just give a, uh, maybe just a, 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 an overview of what it is about this game of golf that you are really passionate about, that you've become an ambassador for the industry uh, and just a, a pure lover of the game. What is it about this game that really appeals to you? Um, well, for me, it sort of it goes back a long time. You know, playing golf with my father and you know, spending some of that time with my, you know, my dad and you know his friends on the golf course and you know just sort of um, you know feeling like I've accepted. You know, my dad's friends maybe could be playing golf as much as like talking about other um, sports like soccer. You know, that we were passionate about with our team and uh, you know also for me, I, I, I'm more engaged of golf apparel at such a young age um you know i was the one who was you know aged seven or eight who was uh, dressing up like the fonds from happy days um you know with my <laughs> leather jacket white t-shirt real cream hair um and then when i discovered golf at 10 you know i was wearing 10 or 11 i was wearing like sort of jumpers that sort of jack nicholas was wearing and uh Sebi ballesteros and you know greg norman was wearing uh in sort of like mm-hmm. the early 80s um you know, I was respecting that sort of whole, um, you know, lifestyle. And I think, you know, for me, golf has always been attracted by, you know, the colours and the, the scenery. And, uh, you know, I progressed from there. You know, for me, uh, as I got older and, um, you know, other activities came in my life, um, especially music, which I'm a huge fan, you know, I have a huge passion still to this day. Um, you know, my... Um, my outlook of golf never changed, you know, regardless of, you know, where I was or what, what country I was partying, um, you know, or what band I was seeing, you know, I'd always like try and look for a golf course to, to go and play golf in. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's grown since then. And, you know, my, uh, the opportunity for me to, to, to work for a brand that I identified hugely in my uh, youth in the 80s uh, came up around about 17 years ago. And I remember walking through the doors on my first day saying, wow, I'm going to work for this iconic uh, golf brand uh, called Lyle Scott. And, you know, at that particular time, you know, um, know, we were trying to make it to be more the lifestyle brand. And, you know, that sort of uh, followed um, the the, the time that I was there with the brand. But it was never really sort of, um, uh, it was never really for me to think that I was always going to be working in the golf industry because, you know, I had great knowledge within uh, sort of fashion lifestyle and that's where my skill sets came in but when my company offered me the role to come into golf um, you know I was pretty blown away maybe I was expecting maybe I was expecting it because I was obviously um, you know um, I was coming to a certain age of you know almost being 50 at that time and thinking you know maybe I need to slow down a little bit can I keep up with the kids in the fashion game but you know, the idea was that my bosses saw the passion that I had for golf 
as much as the passion I have for the company of Lyle and Scott and put two and two together, and it's been a success story so far. Yeah, it definitely has, and, and obviously Lyle and Scott is one of those uh, brands that is very easily identified, as I mentioned, of course, the Eagle, which uh, is uh, something else that uh, you're very passionate about and have been proud to wear for, for many, many years. What, what's interesting is, and I want to ask you this, just to, I mean, you, you sort of touched on a lot of it here already, but um, Lyle and Scott has, has really always been known to be a supplier of well-crafted, very high-quality garments, um, but at the same time with, with an iron style. So in addition to that, what really makes Lyle and Scott so unique um, as opposed to some of the other brands and certainly a lot of great brands out there, but what is it about Lyle and Scott that makes them so unique? Well, Ted, I think first of all, um, you know, we have a big uh, celebration next year. Um, Lyle and Scott turns 150 years old. Um, there's not many brands that can say that they're 150 year old, uh, but we are extremely looking forward to celebrating our, um, our milestone birthday of the brand that was founded uh, in Scotland in a tiny town called Hoyt, which is in the borders. It's about an hour and a half drive from south of Edinburgh towards like England. Um, the reason why we were founded there, um, there's a beautiful river that sort of snakes through this sort of town centre that has all these like, beautiful minerals. And when you were making, you know, if we go 150 years back at that time, the, uh, the, the, the company in Lawrence Scott was making lots of like hosiery, like, like underwear garments. Um, and the minerals of the water where they were washing up obviously the wall had a lot of sort of minerals in it which made obviously the garments more robust. As time goes by, um, you know, and we were doing a lot of work through World War One, obviously World War Two, but in the fifties, sort of in the forties and fifties, we were becoming quite anonymous of making amazing knitwear but on sort of like, you know, sweaters, uh, as you guys will call it, you know, just for men and for for, uh, for, for women. And um, you know, we were identified and the town of the Hoik was identified as that sort of specialist in knitwear. So, yeah, we've become associated with that because obviously the minerals that we were like washing the garments in for making the lamps all a lot more softer. And then we were picked up by some amazing brands, um, you, you know, like Christian Dior to, to Yves Saint Laurent, um, who were collaborating with us in the 1950s, uh, using our sort of specialist skills in lamps oil and cashmere. Um, and that's where it sort of progressed from there because we were seeing sort of more uh, pro shops in Scotland that were buying our jumpers, you know, for, for guys that were wearing an extra layer to go over their tweed jacket with their plus fours. And then sort of the late 50s and early 60s the, uh, is when the, uh, the Lyle Scott Eagle was, um, was founded. Um, that was purely by chance with our sales director at the time uh, going to Glen Eagles in Scotland uh, and having a conversation with the pro there, and basically they were talking about the identity of like sort of like sort of tennis brands. Now at that time we had Lacoste, uh, which was doing tennis clothing, and, and brands like Fred Perry, which had a long leaf that was doing tennis clothing. And there was nothing out there for golf, and that's when the Eagles sort of founded really in sort of the late 50s. Um, you know, through that conversation between the pro Glen Eagles and our um, our sales director at the time, and, and then after that it sort of just performed as a um, as a great knitwear brand or sweater brand uh, for the golfing community um, and became more associated more as we got into the late 60s and early 70s. Um, I think we can you know, all associate that period of time when you know, colour TVs uh, became the modern trend um, in the late 60s, yeah. early 70s. All of a sudden, um, you, know, um, you, saw, you, know, you saw all these like, great sports people 
um, in colour wearing some of the most amazing sort of colour palettes on their sweaters, you know, even if it was like horse racing or, you know, soccer matches where you had like the, the, um, the football club, um, uh, the international football team like Brazil in 1970, all of a sudden you had these amazing players, you know, playing football, this beautiful you know, yellow and blue kit. And it's sort of associated with Lawrence Scott at that time. You know, in the UK, United Kingdom here, there's a lot of golf being shown on telly. There's lots of professional and sort of celebrity golf shows. And, you know, and everyone at that time was wearing a large Scott sweater purely because of the colour, the argyle prints, the, the, the sort of diamond checks and, you know, the intages that we were doing. We were a specialist and we became a forefront, um, you know, of golf fashion, you know. And uh, brands like Stephen, uh, brands like Melbourne, uh, which is a huge brand um, in the USA, as well as sort of markets like sort of Japan and, and Korea and, and over here in Europe as well, where they're taking that golf lifestyle. And I know Stephen very well, and he's a great guy, and I remember him saying to me that Lyle Scott were the innovators of golf, you know, as much as we're trying to be the innovators of golf going forward. Um, so they recognised our sort of skill and the sort of like what we did uh, for golf for power in that, in that time. And that sort of was always stuck with me, you know, it's something that I've always done with my previous jobs that I've had, is I've always been fascinated by brands that have got history. And I've sort of always been, you know, um, the, the geek out of my friends when I went to San Francisco uh, to go skiing. We had a couple of days to hang out in San Fran and I wanted to go to the Levi's Museum. Um, you know, mm-hmm. my friends were like, well, do you want to do that? And I was just always fascinated by the history that brands have, you know, the identity, how they created a jean or how they created a sweater. Uh, you know, um, and that's something that's always stuck with me. And I think with Lyle Scott, we've always had that, you know, uh, strong uh, representation of being a specialist in knitwear or sweaters. Um, so I apologise if I keep saying knitwear. That's how we say it here in England. No. Uh, yeah. No. I know. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah. No. I fully. I fully understand. Trust me. I. I know what you're exactly what you're talking about. Go, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, especially some sweaters, and, and, you know, and, and that sort of became anonymous all through the 70s, and then, you know, like in the 80s, we started experimenting with, like, you know, uh, fabrication changes by mixing, you know, like Gore-Tex, which is fundamentally a waterproof membrane, you know, with, like, cashmere and lanthorn jumpers, you know, to make them waterproof. Um, you know, so we were then trying to be more technically advanced at that time more than any other brands that were doing it at that particular time. Um, you know, in the 80s, um, the 80s in particular for Lance Scott became hugely popular, um, not just on the golfing circuit all over the world. You know, we were fortunate enough to have some great players winning some of the most iconic uh, golf tournaments. But, um, you know, here in, in the UK, uh, soccer matches created an identity, and we called it terrace labels. So guys would dress up on a Saturday afternoon um, wearing Lance Scott jumpers uh, with roll necks and gold chains, around their neck and uh, Farris flags and Adidas uh, Samba trainers or gazelles. And they were dressed in quite expensive clothing at that time um, to go to watch football matches. And that's where the terrorist labels were brought on. So we have a massive association, not just obviously for gold, because that's our DNA. We've been doing it for you know, well over 75 years now. But also we have a massive association with soccer and uh, what the guys mm-hmm. were dressed in on the terrorist in the 80s. And that really is sort of like, um, you know, a big part of like where we are in our DNA now as our brand. I always call it like the modern day chapter now, um, because obviously that is a huge um, path uh, that we have, uh, we're proudly fond, uh, proudly sort of um, fond of the identity of the brand. But as we got to sort of the noughties, and I joined in 2006, 
you know, the main thing that we wanted to do was that we had a really, really good golf brand, but we also wanted to make our brand more associated with a new audience. Um, and then that's when Vintage was born, and Vintage was more about tapping into fundamentally our golf jumper and our golf polo shirt that we always did to make it more of a slimmer silhouette, you know, that fit for a European consumer at that time, and then basically market it to the right people. So we were fortunate enough, some of the biggest brands in the UK and some of the biggest celebrities from, you know, David Beckham to Ronaldo, you know, these footballers and uh, bands like, you know, Kasabian, Arctic Monkeys, etc., were all wearing our brands, um, you know, and it literally blew up to a new audience, a younger audience. But we've never shied away yeah. from golf. Golf has always been part of our DNA. And, um, you know, that is sort of like a little bit of a history of, of where we are. And, you know, to give you a bit of a breakdown about what we do, we sell to around about 28 markets all over the world where we have agents and distributors. Um, and, you know, four years ago when I sort of jumped into the, to the sort of golf side of the business, was the main, uh, the, the main pot of gold that we wanted to get for golf was to obviously hit the USA market because we know the appetite for golf is huge. Um, it, right. Uh, it's crazy. Great golf in, in America. It makes me jealous because I love golf and I go to America. <laughs> Everyone loves golf. And, um, you know, here I can have conversations with colleagues of mine, my wife, and they're like, oh, golf. Mm. So you're going out for six hours, are you? Yeah, I'll see you later. But, um, you know, we, we wanted to hit America and, you know, we've been slowly sort of chipping away at it. And, um, you know, we've been fortunate enough that, uh, you know, we've been to the PGA show twice, which has been a huge experience and, you know, huge, uh, a lot of fun to do and meet some amazing, uh, you know, people within the golfing community of the USA, including yourself. Yeah, and, and that brings me to really my, my next question that I had, um, you know, I, you know, there's so many other brands, as I mentioned, out there that tend to stick with the status quo. They certainly make adjustments along the way. But I noticed that this year's PGA show, I you know, obviously visited your booth, uh, and you know, I've noticed that you guys are really going after, uh, and I know you always have, you know, given the, the sort of uh, length of, of uh, you know, the 150 years that you said that you're getting ready to celebrate, um, but really have, I think, more so even now going after that younger market. So, are there some specific products that you guys have introduced or are rolling out whatever you want to refer to it that's really trying to go after that demographic sweet spot? Because you've got millennials coming out, you've got the Gen Z, you know, this sort of thing, who, um, you know, especially through the pandemic um, here in the last couple of years, have really been drawn to the game, obviously, for a number of reasons, some of interest, but also not having anything else to do. They were eager just to get out and do something. And we're attracted to the game for some reason. So obviously I'm sure you guys recognize that there's been a, a huge influx of new people coming to the game, particularly women. We'll talk about those in a moment. But So is there something that you guys are really doing now to try to go after those some of those demographics I mentioned? Yeah, 100%. I think if you have to look at it from the point of view of how you market a brand now, um, you know, we're quite fortunate that you know, we have a generation of um, you know, men and women that know of Lance Scott being a great golf brand and they can always, you know, tap into that by either buying it from their local pro shop or, you know, through some of the more online channels that we operate in, if it be in our, our own e-com channel. Um, but however, when you market a brand now, you know, like, it, it all really sort of depends on who your live audience is. Now, you know, Lance Scott, very fortunate, we can cater for like a 16-year-old by introducing him to a, you know, our Rick Shields uh, cap that we do, 
um, that he sees, uh, you know, um, Rick wearing on his YouTube videos, which will cost around about like $35 uh, to obviously then sell in one of our cashmere or uh, limited edition cashmere jumpers or lateral jumpers to a guy who's in his like 50s and 60s that wants something that holds quality and has a, um, you know, has, a, has that sort of remembrance of that brand of like probably when he was younger. But like what we try and do now, obviously, that, that fully focus more on that sort of, sort of 20, 24 to 35 age group within the consumer that is that sort of like more Gen Z where, you know, they're using social media as their platform to get information of what they like and, you know, who they want to follow. Um, and I think also when we, when we break our business down to some of the other collections that we do, as I mentioned, Vintage, which is fundamentally a lifestyle collection where it's more to be worn, you know, on a day-to-day basis if it's like work clothes or going out in the evenings. You know, we do a sports range as well that you can take down the gym, uh, you know, or go mm-hmm. running it. Um, you know, when we focus on our marketing, we always aim for that sort of like 16 to 35 because that's the sort of consumer that we want to sort of be attracted to the brand. We want to educate that guy, uh, you know, into our brand where we know that the older consumer he doesn't need to be following social media so much. He knows of the brand. He knows where he can buy it. He knows how to wear it. But that younger consumer is hugely important. And so much that we've just bought um, our kids' wear brand, our kids' wear back in-house uh, for this season. And, uh, you know, if you, if you want to adopt, obviously, even younger kids, you know, I have um, godchildren who are um, 7 and 11, and, you know, they, all they want from me is a Lance Scott T-shirt or a Lance Scott polo shirt. No, to, well, you know, to, to, to wear and um, it's amazing that they're asking for that at that age when for me it started around about 10 or 11 when I found Wild Scott kids are now right. getting even younger to wear products and we have to make sure that we market you know, just as much as for them but also communicate to that sort of older customer as well but you know what you saw in, you know, what you saw in our booth um, was quite a, a young um, it was a booth that had a, a split personality we had one side that talked about <laughs> you know, it was, uh, you know, we had right. imagery of Jack and, and Greg, you know, wearing Wild Scott in the past, and then obviously you step to the, the more clinical and more modern um, sort of approach to the game where, you know, the young, younger audience sort of got with some more interesting golf lifestyle products in there. And I think that really sort of helped us tell a story uh, to the USA uh, consumer because, uh, you know, there's a great deal of accounts that, you know, we, we now operate in that remember Lance Scott, remember the quality of it, and they probably brought back into that purely on a knitwear or on a sweater level. But then, you know, there's other like online retailers that we work with on the USA that will probably tap into more of our, you know, our and other directional pieces. So that purely um, I, I get excited about because you know I've been in the industry for a long time to 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 want to dress, you know, slightly more um, edgier, you know, on the golf course. Mm. Uh, but my my, my um, you know, my marketing um, head sort of sometimes then thinks that, you know, we need to have that balance between doing something which is really, really cool and interesting so we can approach the right consumer, uh, you know, and then have segmentation within the range that we can allow certain retailers to buy into it. But then on the flip side to that, my sensible head says that, you know, I do need to have that very classic golf shoot uh, where, you know, it relates to that more of an older uh, consumer because sometimes when you're doing something a little bit more different in golf, it tends uh, to, um, to scare, to scare. I do apologize. My phone's to me. Yeah, no, that's, that's fine. Yes, I can. Oh, 
it looks like we just uh, lost Dickie. We'll let him uh, uh, call back in. Um, very interesting. I'll, as I wait for him, I'll just uh, give you some thoughts here real quick. Um, very interesting to hear about the history. As uh, a certain, I knew it was a long one, but I didn't uh, quite realize it was uh, as long as 150, uh, coming up to 150 years. So uh, definitely um, they know the, the brands. They understand their markets very, very well. Let me uh, just bring him back in. Welcome back. No, that's okay. Um, let me just yeah, let me just finish this quick thought. I was in the middle of just sort of explaining. So you know, as I was saying to the audience here while I was waiting for you to, to uh, dial back in, is you know, w- with 150 years under your belt, um, not you personally, obviously, but uh, Lyle and Scott, you know, you've you've been afforded really the opportunity to look at uh, the trends and things that have gone on for for many many uh, you know decades. So I, I want to bring you into sort of from this analogy here. Uh, are you finding with Lyle and Scott, as we see in so many other areas of fashion, where um, trends come in at one point, one decade, and kind of phase out, and then sort of circle back, you know, we saw that with the bell-bottom pants and, and other uh, things. Do you see that in your line of work as well, where um, some of the more traditional looks, um, that maybe were in the 80s, you know, 70s, or what have you, are starting to be reinduced, uh, introduced. Excuse me. At this point now, are you seeing that, or have you seen that over the years uh, as as a common trend, as you do with other uh, uh, different lines out there? Yeah, 100. percent I mean, the beautiful thing about what we can do is that we can go through any year, any season, and look at our back catalogues, and then just use our and our designers can create a collection from that, uh, but put a modern twist to it all. Um, you know, I do get asked for a lot more of the traditional stuff um, every season, um, but we have to move away from that sometimes. We can educate a story within, um, you know, within the collections that we do. So, for example, if we look at the next season, the full collection that we're going to be dropping in fairly soon, um, you know, the whole story behind that is all based on the 1981 uh, Ryder Cup at uh, Walton Heap in, in, in the UK, uh, USA versus Europe, and, you know, Lance Scott dress. Uh, both uh, teams with their knitwear, uh, their Lanswell knitwear. So the colour palette from that particular um, rider carp is then uh, is, is then put into the sort of the collection, and then we can take some stories, you know, from um, that particular players that we were um, that were in there, and looking at some of the past uh, imagery that we've got of them wearing our brand, and then we can put that into sort of a whole collection. So we're always going to be tapping into it, but I think the um, I think what's exciting about where golf can be now is that it has it has two paths that it wants to go. It has the tradition and it has the new the, the new golf, the, the, the tradition and the new way of thinking with golf. And that's very modern. It's very sort of more technical, um, very sort of street um, sort of uh, educated in a way where they want to use more technical fabrics and make it slightly more premium. Um, I recently just come back from a, a, a golfing holiday in France with some friends of mine. And, um, you know, it was great because, you know, I saw more traditional guys wearing the golf clothing out there, but I saw some guys wearing some amazing, some older guys wearing some stuff that went back to uh, the 80s. And I was thinking, oh, my God, they look really, really cool. And then I just kept on thinking, you know, that's the type of look that I want, being a little more sartorial, where something that has a relationship with the, some of the great golfers of what they were wearing. And um, But then on the flip side to that, you know, I keep seeing some other brands um, 
that I follow and I really like what they're doing. And I'm thinking, is that the more commercial side? Is that where, is that where the younger audience is, is, is going to go into? So it, it, it's, it's about that fine balance about what we can do. And I just, um, you know, I, 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 uh, I touched base with something I saw recently. I was invited to an Adidas uh, and Bogey Boys Golf Day. And Bogey Boys is on Macklemore's uh, brand, collaborating with Adidas. And, um, you know, I spoke to the, some of the, the guys at Adidas that I know there. And um, they were just telling me that, you know, the whole collection is based on them going to their archives in the 1970s. But they didn't look at it at golf. They looked at it from a tennis perspective, which I thought was quite interesting um, because Adidas have always done various sports through their sort of uh, years. Um, but the fact that that was more tennis than golf just made me think, okay, you know, have we got other opportunities that we did other sports in? Um, and I know from Scotland that we have done many sports, you know, from soccer to rugby to, to hockey. Um, you know, have, can we tap into that in some way and then use that archive and then move that into a sports or a golf story? So, as I said, you know, 75 years of doing golf COVID, we can always add something special in there. But I do get asked a hell of a lot every season from various accounts, can you do the diamond or the argyle jumper? And sometimes we say yes, and sometimes we say no. Depends on how they're feeling. Yeah, and, and it, it also depends, on, I think, too, really, as you said, you have to really understand and know your market because, uh, again, trends change. You know, you, uh, a younger demographic coming in, uh, a lot of times can, uh, you know, as much as a, a brand can help push or dictate what the, the collections are going to be this particular season, it's working more and more, I, uh, I think, the other way. Um, where people are saying, you know, this is what I want to wear, or this is what I'm looking for, and now brands have to do more of a pivot as opposed to necessarily leading and pushing those trends. Which brings me back, you, you touched on uh, a little while ago uh, about the ladies, and you guys have, certainly have not left the ladies out of the mix, uh, Lyle and Scott, you're offering a very uh, robust collection. Um, just touch on a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, some of the key areas that women look for when they're, looking for is it purely style comfort fit or all of the above because they're much different consumers when it comes to their purchasing decisions than what men are men can uh and, and i'm sure it's changing uh for men now but typically men will just sort of pull whatever's off the rack and, and if it looks half decent you know they're walking out the shop but women are much more methodical what have you noticed with working with the the women's side of things at, at lyle and scott what is some of their trends or what is some of their way of, of going about making purchases? Is it different? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good, good, good question, really, because I'm seeing, you know, women are very more, um, you know, their full process when it comes to, like, buying, you know, clothing is, is completely different. Um, my wife would be, be buying a bikini in January and a winter jacket in, in, in July. Um, you, know, <laughs> you know, men will be buying their right. polo shirts when they're <laughs> is when it's really, really cold. Um, so, you know, you're dealing, dealing with two different types of life or personalities when it comes to sort of shopping habits. Um, so from, from, from when we relaunched our women's collection, because we've always done women's golf up to a period of time, and we stopped it and then brought it back in for, um, for this uh, particular season, spring, summer 23. Um, you know, our, um, our vision for it was obviously look at, again, Look at what we've done in the past in terms of more the colours, because something that Lance Scott's always been associated with is our is our colour palette that we've always engaged uh, to our audience. Um, and just looking what was out on the market, 
but looking at what was missing from that market. So, you know, there was a great deal of like um, uh, research that we did at that time when we were speaking to some of our biggest uh, European key accounts who do uh, fantastic women's golf collections and various other brands. And we were just sort of like trying to get feedback from them. And, you know, where it came from was more associated with, you know, looking at the alternatives, you know, that gold women's retailer needed, you know, in terms of like, you know, adding sort of different silhouettes to the polo shirt, um, you know, using um, our skill sets in, in our mid layers, our sweats that we can do and, and put out some more stretchier fabrics and more, and making them a little bit more feminine with the softness of, of um, you know, soft touches and the trims and just the detailing which women um, like to find and, you know, when purchasing garments. And I think that sort of was really um, sort of a, a main sort of point of, um, from our, when we, when we created the collections to actually have that sort of like, that softer feel to it all, which obviously is good and soft on skin. Then uh, sudden little touches, if it being, you know, extra pockets or, um, you know, draw, uh, draw strings just to pull everything in so obviously it doesn't flap in the wind if it being a hoodie. But also making our knitwear program that we did to be 100% merino. Um, you know, a lot of women will look after their garments compared to obviously men. Uh, men will just throw it in the washing machine, in, in the washing machine and put it on the hot cycle, then it'll come out and by the shrunk by two inches. <laughs> uh, the women right. will like, you know, perfect on a, on a spin, you know, on a wall cycle spin, look after it, you know, maintain the quality of it because she understands it. So there's variations on that. And obviously we launched it for the first time and we didn't actually feel we did as much marketing for women. So we obviously sold it to a lot of our European markets and some of the American accounts that we operate in. And, um, you know, the feedback that I've got, you know, so far this season has been quite positive. You know, it's, um, we should have, you know, I want to push um, out and try and get some sort of tour players um, at the start of the year um, before we launch it, but that didn't happen. So we gave it to a lot of influencers in, in, in Europe. Um, they've been wearing it. And the feedback that I've got from them and the feedback that I've got from female golfers that I know who play the game have said it's, uh, you know, it's, it's more about the quality and it's more about the fit. You know, there's a few things that we need to change. A couple of the polish uh, fabrics are a little bit too heavy, uh, but we've no, we, we, we're going to change that in bulk going forward into next season. Yeah, and and I think the other thing, too, that, you know, we've seen certainly over here, and I imagine it's fairly similar in your uh, markets there, uh, in Europe and, and whatnot, and, and certainly around the world. But uh, the other thing that I've noticed, too, um, that, that women um, tend to look for, uh, besides some of the things that you've mentioned, is versatility. Uh, in other words, you know, they want to be able to wear something to the golf course, and maybe, you know, if they're just getting in a quick nine and maybe heading out to a business meeting afterwards, maybe can, they can throw a light jacket over top. So they want something that can work in a multitude, not just out in the golf course, but, uh, and there might make some subtle changes, maybe change, uh, you know, the bottoms, the skirt, if they're wearing a skirt of some sort, um, or skort, as they call it here. Um, so they're looking for something with a lot of versatility as well that they can use in other forms, not just on the golf course. So it, it's very, very interesting. And I want to just get you to follow up on something you just said. You talked about, you know, the U.S. and, and obviously, uh, as an example, the European, uh, European market. So, as you compare various markets around the globe, is there a big difference in the style from market to market, meaning what do consumers in Europe typically uh, trend towards as opposed to here in the United States? You're getting more into the United States now. 
Uh, obviously, we're a much different market than the European market. Um, but is there a bit as big of a difference as maybe what I'm making it out to be, uh, or is there a lot of similarities um, with just some subtle differences? What are your thoughts? Um, yeah, no, I think there's, there's, there's a lot of difference uh, between you know, both markets, both in Europe as well as in America as well as in, in Asia. I think the main thing that we have identified is obviously the fit. Um, you know, our European uh, fit is... It comes out a little bit too small for the U.S. Uh, fit, which is obviously can be perceived as you know, slightly bigger. There is a USA fashion fit um, that we have now adjusted our product to fit within the market. But um, I think that's purely just because of like education of the you know of, of other brands, of, you know, both lifestyles, but sportswear brands, where it's perceived as being a little bit more bigger. And I think obviously here in Europe. You know, we have uh, you know, some of our biggest markets like Holland and uh, Sweden. You know, there's some very tall people there, but they seem to like it slightly more fitted uh, garments. Whereas in America, you know, again, you've got tall people there. Uh, they like it slightly more loose. So the fit has been sort of a big challenge for us. And, you know, we're happy to say that we changed that, you know, going into spring next year, that we'll be having more of a looser fit. Now, when I mention that to all our other markets that we operate in, um, South Africa, Australia, most of Europe, um, they all are going to me to say, this is brilliant, this is the best news that we've heard, because, you know, we sometimes felt like we were, you know, not being able to sell to that bigger guy, you know, who couldn't fit into a 3XL, he needed to go one size up, but now with the new fit, the 3XL will, will um, you know, will, will fit in comfortably, and it just allows them to feel more uh, understanding with the brand that he can actually go and buy into other product categories that we have, where in the past they'd be like, no, that's not going to fit and I'm not going to buy Lion Scott purely because their, their jumpers don't fit me, that means that their, their shirts are not going to fit me, and did I do a 38 or 40 weight? We do a 38, but we're now to a 40, so obviously um, to, to accommodate that sort of bigger guy that's out there. Um, so yeah, changes on fit is uh, different. In terms of obviously storytelling, um, I think um, one thing that I wanted to do when I came to Gold was uh, we call it to, uh, I call it, it's a bit of a weird story, this, um, but we call it sort of the petrol pump or um, uh, scenario. So, you know, you're filling your car up with gas um, and you can look behind you and there's a guy there and he's wearing a you know, shiny pair of trousers, a white belt and a, a shiny polo shirt and he's got his tightless cap on and you know he's been playing golf. You know, you know that he's you know, he's had eighteen holes with his friends, he's on his own way home or he's off to golf, you know, and then you can see another guy on the court, on the forecourt of the uh the, the gas station and you can see him wearing Lance Scott and you could be going, Hang on, is he playing golf or is he going out? So when you say about women having that functionality where it's not about um, you know, what they're wearing on the golf course, but obviously what they're wearing you know, in the restaurant afterwards, you know, we want to do the same yep. thing now. I think more and more, um, you know, I went on a golf day about three weeks ago, there must have been about 200 guys playing, and, you know, we got told to, you know, is that a very nice golf course just outside London? And, um, you know, we got told, like, you know, there'd be evening dinner and uh, prize giving and, obviously, uh, auctions. Um, and, you know, they said, like, you know, smart dress, you know, like, so, obviously, you know, you bring a shirt and a jacket and a pair of trousers. And then you know, the people that I was playing with, because I was invited, and I said, oh, I'm just going to go to my car and get changed. And they said, no, 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 because they, they've been to this golf there. I said, no, no, don't worry about it, you'll be fine. You know what I mean? We're not changing. And literally, probably 95% of the people 
that was on that golf day never changed. They wore the same clothing for the evening. Yeah, they were there for dinner yep. and a couple of hours, a couple of drinks, and they were going home. Well, obviously, you know, I remember when I was a kid growing up, you know, like with my father, you know, when you played a golf day and there was a society or whatever, you know, everyone would be in, in the locker rooms, everyone would have a shower and everyone would be putting their shirt and tie on and their blazer and then attend dinner because those were the rules. But now the rules are changing. I think guys are looking for, you know, products that actually does cross over, not just on the golf course, uh, but also what they can wear to uh, date with their partner or to, um, you right. know, to go to a soccer match. You know, and I think there's brands like Travis Matthews who market that extremely well. Um, and I think they're, um, yeah, they're, they're doing a great job where you're looking at a polo shirt that doesn't have to be worn on a golf course. It can be worn, you know, to the office or it can be worn, you know, for leisure. And I like that process. It doesn't necessarily have to fundamentally be golf, court, golf clothing. But when we do design a golf range, we do put it through the golf test with our tour players that we have or some of the influencers being Rick Shields that, we give them certain product lines and we tell them that this is technical or this is got a bit more stretch to it or this is, um, you know, got a cuff bottom. What do you think? Um, because, you yeah, know, we want to make it uh, robust and we want to make it, you know, good quality. We don't want it to fall apart when you're walking around carrying your bag um, on an 18-hole golf course because it won't wear that well, especially with knitwear because it can pull and it can catch quite easily. So we need to make our jumpers extremely tough for the environment that golf is played in. So, yeah, mm. you're right. There is some changes. I think golf is definitely moving in a great uh, direction. But it, also, it also comes down to the individual, the person that is playing uh, you know, golf, what he's comfortable in. You know, does he want to wear traditionally golf clothing from sportswear brands that he sees? Or does he want to wear something a little bit more cooler and smarter that crosses over between golf lifestyle and golf clothing? So um, it's a choice. But there is definitely that sort of same as you see here in the US, in the UK as well as in the USA, where in Japan and Korea it's a different animal, a different ball game, because their their love yeah, their love for golf is very more, much more very fashion based, um, and they take influences from brands like Lyle Scott to like Taylor Made, um, and then they mix it up with their own vision and their own style. And um, you know, there's some great brands in like South Korea and Japan that are doing some really really groundbreaking stuff for a younger audience, but not so much for an older audience who are fairly more traditional. Yeah, it, it, well said. And, you know, the reason I ask that is because you, you see, and I think, again, it's, you know, as we, you know, move forward and the younger generations come up, as I said, you know, they're really pushing a lot of the direction of what's happening in, in our environment, uh, not just, you know, our global environment, but um, when it comes to fashion and, and that, I mean, they're, I've noticed here in the States, and I'm sure you've probably noticed it elsewhere, as much as people uh, still like to sort of dress up and be fashion forward, they also like the, the comfort and sometimes the relaxability, as I said. One of the big differences, obviously, between uh, Europe and, and other areas and here in the United States, unfortunately, um, you know, our our health and, and uh, you know, how we take care of ourselves, I'm, I'm going to throw myself, I mean, I'm still pretty slim, but, you know, we put a few pounds on a little more in the waist. We're typically you know, in, in areas like Europe and even Asia, um, you don't see that, and I'll be polite, uh, you know, as a robust player, meaning fat, basically, is what I'm politely trying to say. So they're able to be a little bit, and it's true, I'm, I'm not going to lie, you see that here much more in the United States, a, a more unhealthy approach to our, our diets and things like that, and that's something that we all have to, to strive to change, where I think Europe has, has really, you know, gone the other way, where they recognize that, I think, sooner than we have. 
I want to touch on, though, the environment itself, because I think that's something that has really been in the forefront of everybody's minds these days. You know, we've been talking about it in other areas. So my, my question for you is, how does Lyle and Scott, uh, how do you balance making great clothing to meet today's trends and styles while at the same time being environmentally conscious? Okay, so um, there's, a, there's a lot of markets in Europe that are really sort of like the, the leaders for when it comes to like sort of, um, uh, sort of sustainability. Uh, we can't actually sell um, our brand to certain markets in Europe, especially Northern Europe, like the Nordics, where if it doesn't have any sort of like recycled polyester or cotton or eco-elite Teflon right. finish or some of the other fabrics that have a sustainability sort of like tax behind it, then um, we're not going to be able to put our brand in there. Um, we, as a business, identified this quite a while back. Uh, you know, the food design team, PD and tech, you know, our product development team, and tech to sort of like outsource, like if it's been organic cotton, uh, to some of the more technical um, sort of uh, uh, tax that you can get out there with, with some of the garment sort of um, compositions. It's hugely important for us because, um, you know, we're not, um, you know, we're, we're very much a sort of middle, mid, you know, middle market brand. You know, we're not super premium. You know, we're not premium. Um, where you know we're selling like you know polo shirts for uh, for 150 bucks. We're you know we're around about like 75 to 110 price points. So you know we can add the quality as well as sustainability, and then tell that story from it. It does go a long way. I think it goes a long way more so for us than it does for some of the other markets that we do operate in. But you know, it, it is a selling point that we can have. Uh, doing it, but I think um, you know, like we can talk about sustainability within golf, and you know, for me, you know, my local golf course that I'm a member of, you know, it's quite good that now they don't sell, uh, you know, um, bottles of, uh, of cokes or uh, Coca-Cola or you know, or lemonade or bottles of water in there now. Basically, you have to buy a bottle or bring your own bottle with you, and then you've got water stations all around the golf course, you know, and just stuff like that. You know, just using, you know, we know that. Obviously, golf courses drink a lot of water and obviously need a lot of maintenance, you know, with obviously machines. And, you know, my golf course is trying to, you know, lead, uh, try and sort of be the forefront of that in their area by trying to make it sustainable as much as possible, which also relates to the type of audience that their members that they're getting in. They want to get younger guys in who have the same beliefs as what they have. So, you know, a lot of the old guys sort of even, you know, uh, you know, are not around anymore or they're, decided that course is not for them anymore um, because of the sort of changes in the beliefs that the club wants to put in. And that also relates to the product that they go for as well within the pro shop. They want to bring brands in that have the same beliefs that they've got. So, you know, it's a small, um, you know, sometimes it's a, you know, I see the changes happening, but I don't see the changes happening as quick as we like to. But if we can all stamp our sort of carbon footprint in some sort of way, as much as yep. Um, any human being should do by protecting the planet uh, and the world that we live in, then, you know, it will help in some sort of way. But on a global front, we are looking at how we can, um, you know, change it all the time. Now, for example, we do a, our knitwear that we do, our Merino blend uh, knitwear that we have for golf has a, um, a test on finish. Now, it was only up to about two years ago that we were going to look at getting rid of the Teflon because Teflon's not good for the environment. But now what's happening right. is that you've got the, the eco, you have an eco-elite Teflon. Um, I'm, not, uh, I'm not very 
knowledgeable on how that works, how it's made, but I do know that there is a certain protection and obviously sustainability with it having eco-elite Teflon finished to all. And all the Teflon does was, uh, is that if there's a light drizzle and you're on the tea box and you are just about to tee off, you don't have to like stop and try to put your waterproof on, you know, the Teflon will protect your jumper from a small shower. You know, it's not going to be 100% waterproof, but it will obviously protect you until you get your waterproof on. But like I mentioned earlier, it also makes you more robust. It makes the jumper more uh, stronger. Um, it also makes it more durable. And, um, you know, and that's what we want. We want product that uh, lasts. Even, even from the zips that we use, we use probably the, the, the best zips that you can find in the market. And that's YKK. Um, they're just more mm-hmm. better than anything else. And we don't put that product on our fashion collection because it doesn't need to have that story on it. But it does need to have that story within golf and sports because we want it to be a sport-specific product as well as a, you know, a, 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 a quarter zip that you can wear on and off the course as well. But, yeah, um, you're talking to a guy who's got the hair down to his shoulders still. I'm a little bit of a hippie. Um, you know, I love being <laughs> on the golf course. I also love, um, you know, I love that environmental side to it all. And it's something that, you know, I will always, you know, throw in uh, to our design and our PD team that, you know, maybe we should be looking at doing more recycled um, yep. You know, we don't do footwear. We are going to be collaborating with a brand fairly soon to do footwear. But um, you know, I know that they do recycled sort of like um, you know uh, sort of plastics and stuff like that that they put into their footwear and to their laces and to you know to the sort of soles and you know and that sort of excites me. But I do hear that some other big brands, um, you know, they they actually say it's recycled. It's not exactly like found on the beach that's been washed. Um, Onshore, it's obviously they make right. bottles to be recycled as well. So, yeah, there's some sort of good points about sustainability, some bad points that we're hearing, especially within clothing. And a lot of that also comes down to factories as well, uh, manufacturing. Um, we're changing quite a lot of our, our factories uh, from China to move them you know, more closer to Europe, um, like sort of Turkey mm-hmm. to um, Portugal and also India, because the UK and India have some great sort of ties. Uh, relationships within manufacturing um, and a lot of it has changed and we we source all our factories um, you know we do not work with them unless our teams are over there to make sure that they are uh, environmentally friendly that we're not seeing any um, uh, any people of a certain age um, both younger right. or older working in there but because you know there's horror stories that you hear about certain you know um, especially disposable fashion brands where they're using cheap labor, which means obviously younger or older people that have been, um, you know, uh, used to just make very rubbish garments that will end up being in landfills within six months because people just get bored of it. That's not the way we work. We want to make good quality product that have a sustainability tag on it that we can sell to our, our end consumer. Yeah, and, and that's so important and, and you know, uh, again, well said. I think that, you know, obviously businesses, as they become, um, you know, more and more understanding of, of how to protect uh, not just the environment, but also uh, the workers and things like that. And that's great that you guys are very involved in that aspect of it as well. And, you know, as you touched on earlier, um, you know, with the use of new materials and things, and it's going to continue to change as, as time moves on and we become more educated as what materials are going to be 
um, you know, more recyclable and less, uh, you know, harmful to the environment and things like that. And, and, and that's just a timing thing. I mean, you know, as much as everybody would like to rush to do it tomorrow, uh, it's just not always, always possible. So it, it, it's good and it's important that, you know, uh, that you're really um, one of the leaders in the charge, if you will, and trying to uh, do everything that you can possibly do. Um, I think that also resonates, as I mentioned earlier, with, with this younger generation, because that's obviously something important. That's why I asked you the question is, um, you know, is, is there becoming more and more savvy and, and understanding what's going on in the global economy? Um, they're looking to partner, if you will, with brands or be involved with brands that also recognize, hey, we need to do something on our end to, to do our part. And it's great to hear that uh, Lyle and Scott is, is uh, helping to sort of lead that charge. So as you, just as we get ready to, to wrap up, because I know you've got uh, a lot of things to, to do, but, um, you know, as the world sort of continues to go through some of these rapid changes um, in style and so forth, what do you see for Lyle and Scott as your biggest growth potential happening? Uh, obviously, you're going to get more entrenched into the U.S. market, but uh, is there specific areas of growth that you're really looking at? Like for instance, in golf here in the United States, uh, women represent about 33 to 35% of all new golfers coming in. Do you see a much, uh, and again, you already have a pretty big campaign, but a much larger, uh, more robust campaign than what you're currently doing in that area, or are there some other uh, growth potentials that uh, we haven't talked about that you're looking into now? Um, for the U.S. market, it's, um, uh, it's been fun. It's been challenging. Um, it's been hard work, uh, you know, uh, time zone with you guys, uh, the language, I mean, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, it's been sort of like fun to have, we've got some great, I've met some great people out there, you know, and I'm, I'm continuously uh, you know, speaking to and to see how we can make, uh, you know, that's great within, uh, you know, their, their states or within their markets. Um, but we do see, obviously, this is the path that we actually sort of continue. And I think one thing that we do do extremely well in the USA is on their way. Um, I think there is huge um, uh, appetite for our jumpers purely because of the price point are so, so good. Uh, when we've been at the PGA show, we tell them that this Merino blend is, you know, $145 uh, retail on a 2.5 margin. You know, they're like blown away by it because, you know, when they start mentioning, you know, other uh, brands or sweater brands that do... Uh, the same thing, um, you know, they're pushing the price up by about another 20 to 40%. So I think if we can continually um, do an amazing knitwear, which is something that we obviously have ownership on and it's our DNA, I think that is sort of like where we can actually sort of have some big traction uh, within the U.S. market. And again, obviously continuing that sort of path with the mirror people's winnings. I think, um, you know, we've been quite cautious in terms of like the first season where, you know, we've designed more like a sort of a capsule collection. Um, and we've done the same again for obviously the following uh, season and the season after that because we feel like we've got the template there of the product. You know, we just need to sort of adjust it if it's different fabrications and then bring some sort of more colour-ups uh, within the range. Um, I think, you know, my, um, you know, my sort of like, you know, bigger picture that I want to see, especially in the USA, is obviously up just pin some of the more you know, key retailers, get some sort of more traction, uh, you know, with, within the market we've got. And also, you know, we're going to make some changes, um, you know, within the USA as well. We're running it here in London uh, with a, um, uh, a great sort of sales force 
uh, sales team that we've had, um, but we're looking at sort of like seeing how we can sort of make that better uh, you know, going forward. So um, you know, we're just looking at a new opportunity. I mean, the PGA show still excites me. I'm looking forward to being back in Orlando in, um, in, in January next year and seeing good self Ted, uh, you know, and, and just mm-hmm. meeting all the wonderful people in the last three years that I've been uh, attending. Um, so, yeah, so I think um, product categories, yeah, definitely on the knitwear for you guys. Um, understand a little bit more about, obviously, the, um, the U.S. market everywhere can be so different. Wherever you're playing in America, it could be sunshine or it could be rain. It could be whatever, snow. So, you know, understanding sort of more about the sort of the, the unique states that you've got and, um, you know, just building our relationships out there with, uh, you know, with our amazing brand, which has got amazing history, which obviously, you know, the Americans and the U.S. market is, is, is fascinated by because, as I said, you know, there's not many brands that can scream yourself and say they've been doing golf for, you know, the number of years that we have and celebrating our 150th birthday. So, yeah, a lot more exciting things to come. So just watch this space. I'll keep you posted. Well, I, 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 that sounds fantastic. So for the benefit of obviously the listeners uh, that have been uh, tuning into the broadcast this, this morning uh, and those that, that might be interested in checking more out about Lyle and Scott uh, and uh, hopefully even making some purchases, uh, I'm assuming you offer both online and obviously a storefront uh, experience uh, or both. Um, and, and what is the website if they want to go and check things out? Okay, so you've got Um Also in the USA, you've got uh, various retailers. Um, one of them in particular is uh, Trendy Golf, uh, www.trendygolf.com as well. I highly recommend them because I think they're the sort of leaders of the sort of the new changes that we're seeing in golf and about attracting that younger audience. They've got a great portfolio of brands. Um, I'm lucky enough to, to know the owners as well. So uh, if I did mention them, um, mm-hmm. they would probably throw lots of abusive text messages to me after this uh, <laughs> after this call. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's where you can get the, uh, you know, I'm share the list of, uh, you know, some of the golf retailers that we've got. But, um, you know, if anyone's interested in uh, looking into, um, you know, buying a brand for their golf store, uh, pro shop, uh, on and off the course, you know, by all means, uh, you can always hit me with uh, richard.prosser at lilescott.com. Perfect. Well, Zicky, I want to thank you very. Yeah, I want to thank you very much for joining me uh, this morning or afternoon in your case uh, here on Golf Talk Live for a special encore presentation. Uh, you've been uh, listeners have been listening to the international golf sales manager for Lyle and Scott, uh, Dickie Prosser, and uh, thank you for sharing uh, some insight and uh, into uh, what goes on behind the scenes at Lyle and Scott, some of the future uh, trends that are coming out, and and the direction that. Uh, uh, you guys are, are continuing to forge ahead, uh, hopefully for another 150 years or more. Uh, but I want to uh, really thank you for, for taking the time out of your schedule and to uh, to call into the program. And uh, hopefully everybody will go to the website, uh, lyleandscott.com, uh, and you can uh, search uh, all of the great products, not just golf, but uh, other lifestyle products as well uh, on the website. I've, I've looked at it many times. And, uh, yeah, Richard, I, I look forward to... Uh, seeing you uh, at the upcoming PGA show this next January as you guys return and uh, looking to see what new and exciting things uh, you're going to be launching out in 2024. But thank you very much for taking the time to join me, and uh, we'll uh, we'll endeavor to see uh, what's going to be happening uh, as the months and, and years to come with Lyle and Scott. But thank you for taking that time. 
No, a pleasure, Ted. Lovely talking to you. I hope all is well, and uh, you guys have a great day out there. All right, you too. Have a great day. Will do. All the best. Bye, guys. All right, bye-bye. All right, as I mentioned, that was uh, Dickie Prosser, the International Golf Sales Manager for Lyle & Scott, joining me this morning on a special encore presentation of Golf Talk Live. Um, and uh, again, as I mentioned at the beginning, at the top of the broadcast, uh, if for some reason uh, you weren't able to join us live or you came in a little bit later and you want to hear the full broadcast, uh, you can go to uh, www.blogtalkradio.com slash golftalklive. And shortly after the broadcast ends, uh, the recorded version will be compiled and be available as you just scroll down to the on-demand section, and it'll be front and center, uh, as well as all of the previously aired uh, broadcasts will be there as well. So if you've missed uh, some of the other uh, Golf Talk Live shows, you can go and listen to them there. Um, or you can go to a number of different areas, and you'll hear that uh, momentarily as uh, we get ready to close out the program. Um, but uh, I want to thank everybody for, for tuning into the special uh, presentation this morning. Um, I will be returning tomorrow evening for our regular schedule uh, program, uh, which is, of course, live every Thursdays from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network, so make sure you tune in tomorrow night. I'm going to be joined by uh, once again by my very special guest, Linda Harto, uh, who is a world-renowned uh, golf landscape painter. She's been on a number of times uh, on the show. She was actually uh, on the show earlier this year, March 30th, I believe, and uh, she's going to come back. Always enjoy the conversation with her. Very interesting what she does. Uh, she's captured some of the most uh, uh, beautiful holes in golf, uh, including that of Augusta National, and has done some uh, private uh, painting and that work, if you will, for uh, some very notables like Jack Nicholas and, and others, uh, Raymond Floyd, uh, and many others in the golf industry who have uh, contracted her to do a variety of different uh, projects. So on that note, uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in, and I will see you tomorrow night here on Golf Talk Live from 6 to 8 p.m. Central. God bless everybody and have a great uh, rest of your day. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Ted would like to thank this evening's special guest for joining him on the show. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. You can also listen to Golf Talk Live on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. Be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, send an email to Ted at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.